Chapter 14 of Freaks on the Fells Three Months Rustication Story 1 by R. M. Ballantyne This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Florence Short Story 1 Chapter 14 A Surprise and a Battle here hello hi hobbs i say shouted mr sudbury running out at the front door after having swept lucy's work-box off the table and trodden on the cat's tail where has that fellow gone to he's always out of the way hello looking up at the nursery window mrs brown mrs brown being deeply impressed with the importance of learning just because of mrs sudbury's contempt thereof was busily engaged at that moment in teaching miss tilly and master jacky a piece of very profound knowledge now miss tilly what is the meaning of procrastination oh hi hello from mr sudbury but mrs brown supposing the shout is meant for any one but herself takes no notice of it tilly doing to-day what you might have put off till to-morrow hello oh don't you hear hi from below mrs brown no you little goose what is it jacky jacky doing to-morrow what you might have put off till to-day hey hulloo are you deaf up there mrs brown worse and worse stupid little goose jacky indignantly well then if it's neither one thing nor t'other just let's hear what you make it out to be hi ho hello mrs brown bless me i think papa is calling on me yes sir was you calling sir throwing up the window and looking out calling no i wasn't calling i was shrieking howling yelling is hobbs there no sir hobbs is not here sir well then be so good as to go and look for him and say i want him directly to go for the letters here i am sir said hobbs coming suddenly round the corner of the house with an appearance of extreme haste hobbs had in fact been within hearing of his master having been, during the last half-hour, seated in McAllister's kitchen, where the uproarious merriment had drowned all other sounds. Hobbs had become a great favorite with the Highland family, owing to his hearty good humor and ready power of repartee, the sharp cockney, with the easy-going effrontery peculiar to his race, attempted to amuse the household, namely Mrs. McAllister, Dan, Hugh, and two good-looking and sturdy-limbed servant-girls by measuring wits with the canny scot as he called the farmer he soon found however that he had caught a tartar the good-natured highlander met his raillery with what we may call a smile of grave simplicity and led him slyly into committing himself in such a way that even the untutored servants could see how far the man was behind their master in general knowledge 
but hobbs took refuge in smart reply confident assertion extreme volubility and the use of hard words so that it sometimes seemed to the domestics as if he really had some considerable power in argument worthy mrs mcallister never joined in the debate except by a single remark now and then she knew her son thoroughly and before the sudberrys had been a week at the white house she understood hobbs through and through she was wont to sit at her spinning-wheel regarding this intellectual sparring with grave interest as a peculiar phase of the human mind a very sharp encounter had created more laughter than usual at the time when mr sudbury hallooed for his manservant you must be getting deaf hobbs i fear said the master at once pacified by the man's arrival go down and fetch pray do not send him away just now cried mrs sudbury i have something particular for him to do can you go down yourself dear the good man sighed well i will go and accordingly away he went stay my dear well i expect one or two small parcels by the coach this morning mind you ask for em and bring em up ay ay said mr sudbury with his hands in his pocket and his wide-awake thrust back and very much on one side of his head sauntered down the hill towards the road one of the disadvantageous points about the white house was its distance from any town or market the nearest shop was four miles off so that bread butter meat and groceries had to be ordered a couple of days beforehand and were conveyed to their destination by the mail-coach even after they were deposited at the gate of mr mcallister's farm there was still about half a mile of rugged cart-road to be got over before they could be finally deposited in the white house this was a matter of constant anxiety to mr sudbury because it was necessary that someone should be at the gate regularly to receive letters and parcels and this involved constant attention to the time of the mail passing when no one was there the coachman left the property of the family at the side of the road hobbs however was usually up to time fair weather and foul and this was the first time his master had been called on to go for the letters walking down the road mr sudbury whistled an extremely operatic air in the contentment of his heart and glanced from side to side with a feeling amounting almost to affection at the various objects which had now become quite familiar to him and with many of which he had interesting associations there was the miniature hut on the roof of which he usually laid his rod on returning from a day's fishing there was the rude stone bridge over the burn on the low parapet of which he and the family were wont to sit on fine evenings and commune of fishing and boating and climbing and wonder whether it would be possible ever again to return to the humdrum life of london there was the pool in the same burn over which one day he reckless man had essayed to leap and into which he had tumbled when in eager pursuit of jacky a little below this was the pool into which the said jacky had rushed in wild desperation on finding that his father was too fleet for him passing through a five-barred gate into the next field 
he skirted the base of a high precipitous crag on which grew a thicket of dwarf trees and shrubs and at the foot of which the burn warbled here on his left stood the briar bush out of which had whirred the first live grouse he ever set eyes on it was at this bird that in the madness of his excitement he had flung first his stick then his hat and lastly his shout of disappointment and defiance a little further on was that other bush out of which he had started so many grouse that he now never approached it without a stone in each hand his eyes and nostrils dilated and his breath restrained he never by any chance on these occasions sent his artillery within six yards of the game but once when he approached the bush in a profound reverie and without the usual preparation he actually saw a bird crouching in the middle of it to seize a large stone and hit the ground at least forty yards beyond the bush was the work of a moment up got the bird with a tremendous whiz he flung a stick wildly and hitting it by chance fair on the head brought it down to rush at it fall on it crush it almost flat and rise up slowly holding it very tight was the result of this successful piece of poaching another result was a charming addition to a dinner a few days afterwards at all these objects mr sudbury gazed benignantly as he sauntered along in the sunshine indulging in sweet memories of the recent past and whistling operatically the high road gained he climbed upon the gate seated himself upon the top bar to await the passing of the mail and began to indulge in a magnificent air the florid character of which he rendered much more effective than the composer had intended by the introduction of innumerable flourishes of his own it was while thus engaged and in the middle of a tremendous shake that mr sudbury suddenly became aware of the presence of a man not more than twenty yards distant he was lying down on the embankment beside the road and his ragged dress of muddy brown corduroy so resembled the broken ground on which he lay that he was not a very distinct object even when looked at point-blank certainly mr sudbury thought him an extremely disagreeable object as he ended in an ineffective quaver and with a deep blush for that man must be more than human who when caught in the act of attempting to perpetrate an amateur concert in all its parts does not feel keenly being of a sociable disposition mr sudbury was about to address this ill-favoured beggar for such he evidently was when the coach came round a distant bend in the road at full gallop it was the ordinary tall top-heavy mail of the first part of the nineteenth century being a poor district there were only two horses a white and a black but the driver wore a stylish red coat and cracked his whip smartly the road being all downhill of that part the coach came on at a spanking pace and pulled up with a crash the beggar turned his face to the ground and pretended to be asleep mr sudbury noticed this but 
being interested in his own affairs, soon forgot the circumstance. "'Got any letters for me today, my man?' "'Oh, yes, he has letters and newspapers, too,' Mr. Sudbury mutters to himself as they are handed down. "'Capital! Ha! Ah. Business! Hmm! Private! Ho! Compasses! Good! Any more?' There are no more, but there is a parcel or two. The coachman gets down and opens the door of the box behind. The insides peep out, and the outsides look down with interest. A great many large and heavy things are pulled out and laid on the road. Mr. Sudbury remarks that it would have been wiser to have stowed his parcels in front. The coachman observes that these are his parcels, shuts the door, mounts the box, and drives away with the outsides grinning and the insides stretching their heads out, leaving Mr. Sudbury transfixed and staring. One or two small parcels, murmured the good man, recalling his wife's words. And mind you, bring them up. One salmon, two legs of mutton, one ham, three dozen of beer, a cask of of something or other and a bag of of ditto groceries i suppose and mind you bring em up how that is the question cried mr sudbury quoting hamlet in desperation suddenly he recollected the beggar man hello friend come hither the man rose slowly and rising did not improve his appearance he was rather tall shaggy loose-jointed, long-armed, broad-shouldered, and he squinted awfully. His nose was broken, and his dark color bespoke him a gypsy. Can you help me up to yonder house with these, my man? No, said the man gruffly. I'm foot-sore with traveling. But I'll watch them here while you go up for help. Oh, um said mr sudbury with peculiar emphasis you seem a stout fellow and might find more difficult ways of earning half a crown however i'll give you that sum if you go up and tell them to send down a barrow i'll wait here replied the man with a sarcastic grin limping back to his former seat on the bank oh very well and i will wait here said Mr. Sudbury, seating himself on a large stone and pulling out his letters. Seeing this, the gypsy got up again and looked cautiously along the road, first to the right and then to the left. No human being was in sight. Mr. Sudbury observed the act and felt uncomfortable. "'You'd better go for help, sir,' said the man coming forward. "'Thank you. I'd rather wait for it.' This seems a handy sort of thing to carry, said the gypsy, taking up the sack that looked like groceries and throwing it across his shoulder. I'll save you the trouble of taking this one up, anyhow. He went off at once at a sharp walk, and with no symptom either of lameness or exhaustion. Mr. Sudbury was after him in a moment. The man turned round and faced him. That where you took it from, thundered Mr. Sudbury. Oh, you're going to resist? The gypsy uttered an oath 
and ran at Mr. Sudbury, intending to overwhelm him with one blow and rob him on the spot. The big blockhead little knew his man. He did not know that the little Englishman was a man of iron frame. He only regarded him as a fiery little gentleman. Still less did he know that Mr. Sudbury had in his youth been an expert boxer, and that he had even had the honor of being knocked flat on his back more than once by professional gentlemen in an amicable way of course at four and sixpence a lesson he knew nothing of all this so he rushed blindly on his fate and met it that is to say he met mr sudbury's left fist with the bridge of his nose and his right with the pit of his stomach the surprising result of which was that the gypsy staggered back against the wall but the man was not a coward whatever other bad qualities he might have been possessed of recovering in a moment he rushed upon his little antagonist and sent in two sledge-hammer blows with such a violence that nothing but the englishman's activity could have saved him from instant defeat he ducked to the first parried the second and returned with such prompt good will on the gypsy's right eye that he was again sent staggering back against the wall from which point of observation he stared straight before him and beheld mr sudbury in the wildness of his excitement performing a species of cherokee war dance in the middle of the road nothing daunted however the man was about to renew his assault when george and fred all ignorant of what was going on came round a turn of the road on their way to see what was detaining their father with the letters why that's father cried fred fighting yelled george they were off at full speed in a moment the gypsy gave but one glance vaulted the wall and dived into the underwood that lined the banks of the river he followed the stream a few hundred yards doubled at right angles on his course and in ten minutes more was seen crossing over a shoulder of the hill like a mountain hare. End of chapter 14